Hi, I'm Tommy Martin, and you're listening to In Conversation With. Yeah, there was a, a, an awards uh, last year. The yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The hybrids. Yeah. Um, I actually, yeah. It was very, very impressive. <laughs> we actually um, meant to meant to grab you, but we we we, we couldn't. Uh, I get think, to I think we we networked around the rest of the room, but we didn't get as far as Tommy. No. Yeah. You meant you were like drinking. <laughs> <laughs> that, that um, but I was very impressed, like with the. Um, the general, like, you know, just, well, obviously the enthusiasm. But, yeah, you, know, you were doing sports journalist the year, um, I think, was it? Yeah, that's right, yeah, yeah. Who won that? Um, was Gav? No. No. It could have been Gav Quinn. No, it wasn't. Or was it Ian Brennan? No. no, it was neither. Was it? <gasps> Action Replay got a thing, all right. They got media, yeah. I can't, I can't remember. They got Alex, I think, maybe. Oh, Alex Dunn. Oh, Alex Dunn got it, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, he's working. Dublin Live now, yeah. Yeah. Um... And actually, Gav Quinn was working with the Forty Two, who of course. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah Gav. He. He's with the Mirror now. Mirror, yeah. uh, he was working with the Forty Two for for a few months. Uh, he's just graduated journalism there. But yeah, he was working. And f- and are people finding like there's jobs out there and things? A few like, of them, like I suppose. Good, good if, report so far, anyways. Yeah, like I mean, of those, like pe- a lot of the journalism students, they are now working kind of freelance with a few different. Like I know yeah. some write for the Indo. Um, some are on kind of a local level but there seems to be work like if the quality is there and because like with uh, online journalism now like articles get published every few hours yeah. so they're always looking for content and if the content yeah. is good enough they'll generally yeah. publish it like that's kind of the model for the likes of Pundit Arena like you can just send send them in a piece of work and if they think it's good enough they'll just publish it Yeah. so um, there does seem to be more work out there especially most, for th- most as we would have been talking to from last year Definitely have gone into with yeah. like no most are on temporary contracts. Yeah, 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 that's kind of the way. Of it. And yeah, I don't, I don't like, I don't know how many of them have gotten <laughs> their works published in print yet. But like I said, the the online thing is is huge now. So I see a good bit of crossover, like yeah, you know. Um. Right. We'll we'll get into it. I think Do it's. Is it mine? I think it is. Okay. Um. Just put this on. Oh yeah, well spotted, Tommy. Uh, Gavin, <laughs> the consummate professional. Yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> get the phones off. So was the. Yeah. yeah. Alright. Uh, you pressed record this time, you didn't take a photo. <laughs> that was the first time. First well, like months ago. A couple of times months since, ago. But whatever. First time you took a photo instead of <laughs> video button. Um, yeah, so hello and welcome to In Conversation With. Uh, my name is Colin McDonald, and as always, I'm joined by my lovely co host, Mr. Gregory Mulhall. How are we doing? And Mr. Gavin Kelly. How are you doing? Gregory, all the way from Leash Up this morning. Big journey, you know. Yeah, big, big distance. I mean, it was probably uh, an earlier start than you're used to. I'm getting, I'm getting, yeah, I'm not liking this yo-yoing up to Dublin. Like, yeah. left, I came up to Dublin last Wednesday, came back on Friday morning, worked Friday evening, came back up for the Leash and Live game on Saturday. Oh, of course, yeah, you were there. Went home program. again, worked, and here we go. Say love Back, back again. Um, and today we're joined by, I was about to say TV3, but of course <laughs> it's not TV3 <laughs> anymore. I still, say, I still say that. Yeah, exactly. I'd say it's hard to get used to. Uh, Virgin Media presenter, Tommy Martin. How are you? How are Great you, to be here. Thank you. Thanks, Thanks for, for coming me. out. Um, yeah, uh, like we mentioned, uh, we did almost encounter you at the Hybrid Awards uh, last May, but uh, we didn't get around to you quite uh, quite sweetly, but uh, we're we're here now. I have a feeling because we were looking for Tommy. Did, did, I you think, make a, did you make a swift exit? I must have. I think yeah. so, I think yeah. you were one of the first names on our list. Like there was a, yeah, yeah. there was an impressive lineup of of judges at the and we've, we've since had some of them. Like we had Peter Collins, who did I can't remember what award he did. Oh God! But we had him DJ, there last week. Come in DJ, for DJ, yeah, DJ, yeah. DJ, it could yeah. have been that actually, yeah. Um, and there was the likes of Kevin Doyle of the Indo and of course Katrina Perry who was doing I think it was journalist right, or something yeah, like yeah. that um, but yeah I think you I think name... I escaped before things got too raucous yeah. that, that many yeah. people in a room with Colin McDonald let me uh, <laughs> asking for email addresses so things, things was, were about to yeah. kick off so. yeah. Um, yeah and you escaped before we went to Everly anyways <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah we'll get into the interview so and like I usually do I ask the guests what was the initial thought when I asked them to be on the show so did you have any initial thoughts when I approached you to be on the podcast um, as in uh, why why or, or, or yes or no or yeah just like is it is it something that you would be uh, usually do interviews um, I'm very I, I still find it strange talking about myself yeah. so I suppose that would be that would be no but uh, I wouldn't um, have any hesitation to do it in the sense that um, yeah. but uh, yeah it's kind of unusual when your job is, is to ask other people questions for a living I still find it weird mm. you know I always remember uh, when I used to cover the Ireland soccer team um, every now and again before a big match there'll be a load of 
um, media from the opposition team over at the training sessions and somebody would grab you, um, you know, from like, oh, I'm from Italian TV, we just do an interview about, you know, the match on, on mm-hmm. Saturday. And it just, I remember somebody just having a, ca- a camera pointed at me and being asked questions, having been on the other side so many times yeah. and not thought anything of it. Just being, just going like this is actually really freaky. I can't believe you know, every, yeah. I, and I can understand why young sports people come in and you know interview like a young rugby player, a G player, for the first time, and they're just like, you can't, yeah. you know, they're they're monosyllabic and they can't say anything because it's such a strange, unusual thing to get used to. I think I'm over that kind of stage. It is now. something that we've had a couple of guests like that would conduct their own interviews in their professional career. The whole mindset is switched then yeah, when yeah. you're the interviewee, and you you kind of. I don't. Some some people might be a bit apprehensive about what they might yeah, say. Yeah, I suppose there, I suppose, it's it's much different. You know, teeing someone up to when you're asking them a question as opposed to answering it yourself. Mm. Um, which well, I suppose the question is, Tommy, which side of it do you prefer? Oh yeah, well, I much prefer. <laughs> I much prefer ask ask the questions. Yeah, yeah. yeah no, I'm. Uh, I'm not like you know going on the Graham Norton show telling uh, hilarious <laughs> anecdotes anytime yeah, soon. Unfortunately, exactly. So. Right. So. This is actually funny. So when before we started the interview, myself and the guys were doing our research, and what we found with a lot of Irish personalities is that actually it's hard to find research, uh, going in. So we will kind of start from the start and be like, we even like where did you go to college or uh, yeah. or where did you go to school? And generally, we have the answers to these. Yeah, but like I have to say, Tommy, we really struggled with. Yeah. That. Um. Yeah. Now. I suppose the last one that we probably struggled as much was Keir King. Yeah. yeah. Um, she has made them, uh, DJ. She um, has made a conscious conscious decision to not have that much personal information about you, about herself, uh, online. But yeah, when we went to do the um research, there wasn't a, a whole yeah, lot. Yeah, I, I um, I've always uh, like sort of maintained. I, I'm, I'm, I'm a very um, little interest in in self promotion. Mm as uh in a conscious sense i mean i don't which is why i mean i, I as i say i have no problem doing these interviews but i don't, I don't act actively seek that sort of thing and it is obviously part of the, the company that I, that I work for that every now and again you'll have to do something but um i, I just don't i've never seen it as uh i see it as you know i'm happy to promote my work or anything i'm doing that is actually you know what what i do but i, I never feel the need to promote myself as a brand or a per- and i know that's completely uh, uh, so against the, against the grain, yeah, I, yeah. I probably will see me, you know, uh, yeah, obsolete in about five <laughs> years' time. But it's just, it's never been something. And I've got, like, for example, like I've got, you know, a, a wife and two kids, and I know a lot of people in my, in my position. Um, you'll see them on, on in magazines, talk with their family and all that. Like I never, I never want to have that as a. You know, I don't see why that's relevant. That relevant yeah, and. Yeah. Some people would say it is it, it, like because I mean for I did three years working on the weekend breakfast show and um, it was still TV three then <laughs> and you know a lot of time because of the issue it's like lifestyle program so a lot of the issues come up um, are about you know families and kids and would you you know do you give your kids fizzy drinks or whatever <laughs> is in the you know something in the newspaper you're talking about it. and you're obviously drawn on your own experience but I've never felt the need to uh, to you know have m- myself as a brand. To be something, and maybe probably to my detriment, but I like I almost sound like a complete ponce, but like it is, I and especially what I do, like I mean, I'm my main sort of work is, uh, you know, um, anchoring live football coverage, and it's it's all about the match, first, and then second with the studio stuff, it's all about making the the pundits look better, making the viewers experience enjoyable, and the last most, least important person in the whole on-screen side of it is the captain yeah, for the program. Yeah, exactly, exactly, you know, and that's always... It's very similar to what yeah. Joanne Canfield said to us about, like, when she goes into an interview, if she can come out of it saying she didn't hear her own voice that much in it, she's mm. doing quite well because yeah. at the end of the day, people aren't there to listen to Joanne, yeah. they're there to, you know, so... I think the internet is slow up in Donegal, so maybe the information is still coming <laughs> you're out. Go, you're going to go there already. <laughs> well, actually, I remember, because I did, I did find one interview with yourself online, and you said that if you had a million euro, what would you do to fix Donegal? And you said that you'd fix the internet, although a million euro might not be enough. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Which, you know, I, I think is very, very there, true. Right. With, uh, that being said, Tommy, I presume you don't use social media too much? Uh, I use Twitter, um, but again, I don't use it as a kind of a... a I rarely, like I rarely talk about myself and it yeah. hasn't like you know I, d- I don't use it in that sort of projecting my life out to the world and, and trying to you know attract f- attract people's get people to buy into me as a brand mm. and then you know, I know people monetize then that in, in turn like like I just use it 
you know, to comment on, on things in, in the way nor, you know, normal, normal people do or, or everybody does, and then to, you know, say, look, I've written an article or, or we have a match coming up or whatever, like, so, you know, it's a bit... I suppose like, it, is, it is a tool for modern journalism yeah, as well. Yeah, yeah, that's how I use it, like, and I, and I, I came off Facebook um, after the Cambridge Analytica stuff. Oh, yeah. Uh, that was my, my stand. <laughs> um, and I just don't have time. I feel that if I, people always say to me, you know, something like, like, what good friend and colleague Laura Woods uh, was on the breakfast show with for two years uh, always said to me you should get onto Instagram it's great like <laughs> Twitter's so negative Instagram's just, what just kids all, are telling me now yeah. <laughs> it's nice. I, I don't, I don't, I'm not a fan um, of social media myself yeah. so uh, I don't Instagram I, uh, I used to tweet uh, I still use I still have it as a tool as, as I say and uh, Facebook is a necessary evil for our own I think it is uh, a generational thing. Like Definitely. people now have grown up with social media, so yeah. they're used to it. So it is the norm. Like, and it's getting younger and younger. Like people are on social media younger and younger now. Whereas, like people, even like yourself, Greg, at the ripe old I'm, age, I'm of, slightly older than that. So I'm yeah. mature too. Yeah, <laughs> at the ripe old age of twenty five, it's still yeah. something that you wouldn't have grown up with. It's something that you've probably no. Like with. I suppose I would have been what like fourteen or so fifteen, maybe when Bebo. We remember back to the old days. This is it. Like I, I um, even on Bebo. And, and even then, like I, I wouldn't have been a fan of it. Yeah. Um, well, I, I remember these things called newspapers. <laughs> <laughs> very, very, uh, very popular at the time. They're like books or something. Yeah, like yeah, I've never seen one of them. No. Before. Yeah. Um, so Tommy, just just on like the whole, um, I suppose being a bit reserved. Was it something that your wife and, I, and yourself maybe ever sat down about and said, you know, with the two kids and stuff, we're going to maybe. Maybe not protect them from the limelight, but just kind of. No, no, absolutely not. not. Uh, to it. My my wife's a teacher. Like she works in the normal world, and mm. she's just no real interest in. Actually, I mean, as in she's interested in what I do, but she's no interest in being out there or doing anything. She's just you know, uh, and 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 my own take on it is just from like my own sort of values or my own personality. I think I just think some people are are really suited to that. Like, and as you say, I I mean I can't comment for 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 younger people today who as you say have grown up completely with the sense that their lives are and social media are intermingled um like my own sense of, uh, is, is, is always that I, I always find it's i find it embarrassing kind of a little bit embarrassing to to kind of you know you film yourself doing something and i just it's 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 just i find it strange and it, it, it's completely a generational thing and uh i just you know it's not something i ever wanted to kind of you know do or, or to pr project but you know, I, I just think it's an individual thing, really. Yeah. And so, like we said, the research was, or the information was few and far between, but we'll do our best. So, you grew up in Annagree? Correct. County yeah. Donegal. Yeah. And oh, sorry, whereabouts in Donegal is... is... Um, it's in the Donegal Giltat. It's... Um, so, it's north and west. Northwest. It's basically the neighbouring parish to Guidor. Oh, yeah. Uh, so, Guidor and Delo were kind of the, the little Very sort good. of uh, Liechtenstein in the middle of, yeah. uh, of the two of them. So, yeah, I was born in Scotland. Um, yeah, I was about to say, what, yeah. Donegal wasn't your birthplace anyway. <clears throat> yeah, exactly. Yeah, so my, uh, my mother was from there. My, my father was from Glasgow and she met him. She was training to be a nurse there and... They got, they got married and then myself and my brother were babies moved back to, to dear old Donegal to, yeah. to raise the children in the idyllic environment. Yeah, yeah. And so. growing up was uh, a career in, in the media, let's say, uh, always a goal for yourself? Yeah, I remember like uh, <clears throat> in my teens, um, you know, when you sort of think about, like I was sort of like the classic um, child of the 80s. I always think the 80s or that, that sort of era was like the golden age for... Uh, inter or certainly uh, maybe not a golden age but a kind of a, uh, a moment in time in terms of sport on TV if you like because it wasn't uh, basically when, when, when Sky came along and the Premier League exploded you had this thing where like all the football was on TV and every and Champions League came out and it was like all every match was on TV but in the 80s growing up there was um, match of the day and RT had a 3 o'clock kickoff for a good many years and ITV had a thing called the Big Match on a Sunday afternoon, and then Channel Four came in in the early nineties with Italian football, mm. and that was it. And there used to be a program on uh, on a Wednesday night on BBC called Sports Night that had basically all the European um, highlights of all the European stuff, which was the Cup Winners Cup and the European Cup and the UEFA Cup. But it wasn't like the Champions League is now, where yeah. it's all you know massively branded for TV. It, it was like the you basically got a little five minute grainy footage of. You know Manchester United away in against Red Star Belgrade or something, and it was always up down a phone line and, um, but that but that was that was football. Football was there, and then in the spring the rugby came, the Six Nations, 
in, and, and, and everybody watched that. And then when Wimbledon was on, everybody watched that. And then when the Open was on, every or the Masters, and then it was like three or four GA matches on all year. It was like the All-Ireland semi-finals and the final. And it was almost like everything had a turn and you just got into everything. Cycling was massive in the 80s because of, of the Irish lads. And I remember, and, and Formula One was there. I remember my brother and myself just being like, what's the thing now? And we used to say, can you get us uh, the motorsport magazine? Because we're big into Formula One now this week. And then our parents would be like, I said, no, no, we're into cycling now this week. Like, we want to go and see, you know. Yeah, that's actually so, something I was going to bring up as well because I was reading through various articles that you've done for the 42 and it seems like you cover all bases within that. Like you're not stuck to even one or two sports. You, you kind of touch on a lot of different ones. Yeah, but like I, I, I would also say I probably have come a bit too specialised for my own liking because I, I, I'm a, a live soccer anchor so yeah. you find yourself in that headspace a lot more. And But I do, I do find that people are a lot more ghettoised now into like... In, into fewer sports in terms of like how they uh, consume them because um, now it's like well you're going to get a uh, subscription for something you know you're going to be like I'm basically watching the football and the rugby and that's going to be my, my main thing but that was that was my memory of growing up um, anyway in terms of uh, getting it and in terms of the journalistic side just to come back to that um, obviously you're not thinking about that when you're 9 or 10 but then when I was sort of in my teens um, I, I, I always remember our team getting to the, uh, or I think it was we were third year, we got to the All-Ireland final in, in, in soccer. Uh, I was a sub-goalkeeper. <laughs> they asked me to write the uh, the match report of the final for the school magazine. I kind of thought like, hmm, I think that's a message, <laughs> a life message that maybe you're not actually going to be out there, you're going to be on the sideline. And, uh, and yeah, you were out there last night, Tom. Was well, playing five aside there. Yeah, yeah, don't, yeah. There was, there the knees holding up. There wasn't, many, there wasn't many in the press box for that. Uh, <laughs> the, the knees are fine. It's a, yeah, the, the calf uh, strain that's right. keeping me uh, <laughs> hobbling around. Um, so, so I suppose when, when like, I, and then I suppose um, as somebody who, when you're consuming all that stuff and you have a massive interest in it, you know. Sometimes you start thinking about a career. You start, you know, like yourselves. You probably ask yourself, "What do I really want to do? Do I, do I, do I want to be a teacher or an engineer or all that?" And you kind of going, "Well, what am I really interested in?" And and that's you start sort of finding your way. To, but you know, it was a, a roundabout way to get there. Mm. In the end. So you finished secondary school. Mm. Where do you go now? Um, I went to UCD uh, to do um, an arts degree. Um, as I say, I I I, I had to, to be honest. Like when I was I was seventeen when I did my leaving and. Uh, like all I really wanted to do was was kind of go to college and and just you know I wasn't that I wasn't yeah get out of Donegal and I always say it's a great place but it's you know it was it was a quite rural Ireland and when you get to sort of sixteen seventeen you're like okay I want to see a bit of the world now I want to see I want to live in the big city and that so yeah so that was I kind of wanted to go and but I wasn't that career focused and I sort of. I thought I thought I just I wanted to do an arts degree because I didn't want to jump in and make any uh, big decisions and uh, it was great like it was a brilliant experience and I think of you know the stuff you read um, stuff you know you basically got the library there and don't get me wrong not I wasn't stuck in the library reading Karl Marx all the, <laughs> all, all the time but like you know was, I mean I did history politics um, I think sociology in first year and you know just the, the amount of stuff and ideas that you're that are thrown at you and I was involved in the college drama society, film society, played football in the UCD Super League. Um, just low got me. It's got me. And got me such a broad. You think of who you you grow up in school. You kind of meet people. You all your friends are sort of a bit like yourself. But then you go to college and there's people from all different social classes, parts of the country, you know, even international people. And so, it, like, I, I I viewed it as a kind of a broadening the minds sort of thing. Mm. Um, so it was only after that then that I that I you know, was in, like well into my twenties before I started thinking right, better start doing something about your career you know. So you got the degree then the arts degree from UCD mm. and where did you go from there? So after that I did a bit of travelling, um, went to. Oh, you went to Australia all, for did all that yeah. sort of stuff. Um, Actually, just a quick question: How strong was the Donegal accent when you first arrived out in Belfield? A lot, yeah, a lot stronger than it is. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I always remember um, people not distinguishing between the Donegal accent and a kind of a general generic northern accent, accent yeah. um, and I always remember somebody joking some girl from like South Dublin kind of joking with me oh I'm going to bomb your house you know like because that was the, yeah, it was a different time yeah. uh, that, you know, that, that was, so he could get away with saying that yeah, now uh, yeah, yeah, yeah exactly yeah 
and uh, I, you know, I, I, I don't know whether I explained the nuances of uh, of Donegal. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because you know, obviously, where I was from, it was a long way away from it. From yeah, because obviously it was mid nineties, so it was still the ceasefire. I think that first ceasefire had been declared, but the Good Friday Agreement was a few years away, and um, so it was kind of a live issue. And uh, but that's you know, but but so I, I, what I'm saying is I must have been a lot stronger then. And I think like I mean, look, I've, I've lived in Dublin for longer than I lived in Donegal, so yeah. it's and the nature of the job I do is probably uh, it's probably smoothed off. Is that actually because we've talked uh, to a couple of guests? Oh, they said timing, that, yeah. yeah, they they had to get like elocution lessons. Let's say was yeah. that ever something no, that you no, faced? No, no, no. Um, for some reason, no. I'm sure uh, if you wander around uh, UCD long yeah. enough. Like, you yeah, know. well, look, I, it was quite a. I, I literally couldn't believe when I got to UCD that some of the accents were real. Like, oh, yeah. <laughs> the people, they probably said the same about yeah. yours. Well, though. exactly, yeah. That's that's the whole clash of like you're you're literally coming across people that you've you've never encountered before. Um, and but you know, as as you presumably know, like, and I presume it's the same today. Like UCD does draw a lot of students from that sort of those South Dublin mm. um, suburbs, and most and a lot of a lot of really good friends from there now to this day. But like there were some characters hanging around who were like basically Russell Carroll Kelly. <laughs> <laughs> Russell Carroll Kelly hadn't even been been invented in that stage. It was a few yeah. years away, yeah. and, and I was like, I can picture guys now just like jogging like, are you like a real person? Is that accent, you know? Um. And then, so what was your first professional experiences? In so you travelled for a couple of years. Any, any yeah. odd, funny kind of odd jobs to tie you over as a um, Oh, God, well, um, I, do you know what? I, I just did temp, temping jobs in, in Australia, um, travelled a bit in Asia, and then worked for a few months. Then travelled around six months around Australia, basically trying to save up some money, but, like, hopelessly didn't have enough money. I remember, like, basically living in a tent, you know, for... <laughs> Three months, uh, eating, um, eating instant noodles. Oh, I suppose uh, you're doing You couldn't ring your, your mom and dad back then and be like, yeah, hey, you wire me like. <laughs> well, well, it did get to the point where I, I basically had to ring after, towards the end of the year, and it was like, it was kind of, kind of like, yeah, I'm going to save up, and then after Australia, I'm going to go to New Zealand and then work away back. And I was basically like, um, right, I kind of need to come home, but you might just book the old flight there, <laughs> and I'll pay you back whenever I get home. But, um, but I actually ended up working in, uh, so I got back from, from all that and I was like, right, well, you can't, you know, you can't live on, uh, you can't live on nothing. So or I a tent to, anymore. Yeah, 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 exactly. Couldn't live in a tent in, the, in this climate <laughs> and uh, had to make the rent. So at that time, it was the, the sort of early-ish days of the Celtic Tiger. And basically, if you could count and basically type your name into a, a computer, you could get a job in the financial services uh, um, centre. So I ended up working for uh, for Citibank for for a while, uh, or for sorry, it was a Dutch bank um, called ABN Amro. I don't know if you remember they used to be on the the Ajax uh, jersey. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, they're now they're now bought by I think Royal Bank of Scotland bought them and then basically went belly up after they bought them because they were such a, such a bad bank. <laughs> but, um, Still feeling the effects. Yeah, the so there. I did that for a few years, um, and I was always that person who who you kind of say, well, what do you do? Oh, I work at a bank, but. It's not really what I want to do, you know. But I'm gonna do is, and then I was like there for a couple of years, and I was like, right, you actually have to. This is why do I something. Now. I actually I am doing this now, and uh, so then I started working. I started. I, I basically sent. Um, I started. Uh, I started a blog, um, which which was the early days of blogs, uh, called Tom Sporting Almanac. Uh, <laughs> uh, of course, after Old Moore's Almanac. Yeah. <laughs> I think it was a friend who suggested me. I think it was more after the the almanac in um, Back to the Future. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 And uh, I did that for a few years. Won an Irish Blog Award in two thousand and seven, uh, which is still uh, up there. <laughs> <right place. laughs> um, and I basically sent off a load of demos to local radio stations around Dublin. And a guy called Johnny Lyons, who's now sadly the no longer with us, yeah, yeah. Uh, rang me up one day and said like, "Hi, Tommy, Johnny Lyons here." <laughs> yeah, he's the big uh, booming voice. Yeah, didn't he? Um, uh, yeah, I want to get you on air. Need you, need you, weekend sports reader. Can you do it, buddy? Are you my guy? And I was like, "Who is this?" <laughs> <laughs> um, and Julie went in and. Uh, I had about twenty minutes of this is what this button does. That's what that button does. You know, to write your scripts in here, drop your clips in there, and you're on air at uh, seven a.m. on Saturday morning. So I was like, right, okay. 
And my God, how I'd love to have uh, the experience of DCU FM or, you know, a, a four year degree at that stage. But it was, uh, yeah, so did that's basically got a break from, from Johnny out of absolute luck and, you know, that was the start then. Like, the recurring yeah. thing and luck. Yeah. Yeah. Throwing to deep waters. Well, I, 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 probably like open his drawer, threw on a CD, kind of thought, well, his voice is vaguely, you know, acceptable. I'll get away putting him on it, you know, early hours of Saturday morning and nobody's, there's only taxi drivers and, you know, shift workers are going to their work at that stage uh, and see if, he, if he's crap, we get rid of him and it's fine. So, uh, that was uh, that was that and and did so basically worked seven days a week five days in the bank two days in uh, in ninety eight FM, um, for about a year, and um, and then just said right, uh, I oh sorry, uh, the what happened then was my my wife was in, uh, she was training to be a teacher. I'd met her in the bank and she was changing career as well. She was training to be a teacher, and her uh, friend from that course uh, was married to Brian O'Donovan who was now the RT Washington correspondent, but was then in uh, TV3 newsroom. And he kind of said to her, oh, they're looking for sports people then, because I think Joanne Cantwell and Darren Freyhold had just left TV3, and they were just looking oh, for... Oh, Joanne had done her placement there, and then... Yeah, yeah, she yeah, was, yeah. Uh, she'd been there five years, and she'd just left, and they just needed people to, you know, they just needed bodies. Yeah. And um, I sent in my flimsy, very flimsy CV, and got a call then from uh, Kieran Holden, who was the newly appointed sports editor and is now still there as head of sport. And again, like John, like Johnny just kind of said, yeah, can you just come in and I don't know, see if you're vague kind of <laughs> <laughs> anyway, sort of uh, sentient being at all. And that was, yeah. I, and and the year was, what year was it This then? was 07. 07. Yeah, so got a few freelance shifts then. Had a few freelance shifts in um, 98 FM and left the bank. And uh, how did you feel handing yeah, your notice? It was absolutely brilliant. <laughs> was, it, was there a fear that you were going to be back saying hey? It's funny, I, I think back on it now and I think about God, like you know, that like that that risk of you're basically giving up on and I, like, I was I, I suppose I kind of you know I, I was on a kind of a decent enough salary, like you make more money in financial services than you do in media. Sorry to tell you that. <laughs> oh my god, what? it's yeah, it's, it's, you know, for for me anyway it was it was absolutely soul destroying, and I was like, I just, at that stage, I didn't really care about the money. I was like, fine, um, but it was a case of right. You're not going to have that nice uh, cushion in your bank account at the end of every month. Like you're actually going to have to. This is going to have to work, right? But I don't remember feeling any fear about it because it just felt like I had no doubt that I was doing the right thing. You know that you this was the right thing. Career. Career. I was doing something I loved, and I knew that like, you know, okay, that's not enough to to get you to get you through it alone. But I knew I was going to work hard at it. I knew I was going to give it a lash. And this was just, I like, and I think about luck, like another big stroke of luck was this was 2007. Basically the world collapsed in 2008. Mm. Yeah. And there were no jobs in, in the media for three or four years after that. So I, I basically got in, uh, somebody else had left a staff job. I interviewed for the staff job, got that. And I've been a you know, member of staff since uh, October, 2007. And as I say, the, there was no, I mean, a year later, you would have been like, you know, there was, there was redundancies rather than, than, than people being hired. So, so that was it. And it was just, uh, that was the start of it then. Really. And so. what was, was it straight into anchoring then or was it? No, a uh, reporter uh, and producer. So you'd be, there was a, a roster and you'd be sent out, um, you'd be on a reporter shift. So you'd be sent out to press conferences or, you know, set up your own interviews or stories. <clears throat> Again, the great thing about TV3 and, virtual media TV as it is today is that like there is an element a lot of element of going and figure it out yourself as in like you're showing how to edit maybe in a day and you got to go and edit you got to go out get your own stories you're no producer with you so I remember one of the first interviews I set up myself uh, Oshin McConville um, the former Armagh player just done his autobiography which she talked it's called The Gambler oh, the Gambler yeah yeah he talked about his, uh, his, his for, for the first time really and brilliantly about it and we got on and set up an interview with him and I think we did it in in Nafina the clubhouse there and uh, just the whole thing of actually setting up a room you know you're with the cameraman they're, they're obviously responsible really for the look of it but you're kind of so you know you're, you're sort of thinking about and I don't know if, if you guys are going to do um, TV stuff in your in your course you know the stuff that you just you, you think 
and just sit down and, and talk to the guy and that's it and then you come back with you come back with a, a just straight interview they're like well that's useless I can't you can't because you have to cut it and put in shots and so you have to get like a few shots of him kind of walking along and you, you learn on the job and uh, I know it's obviously it's something people coming from here would experience in that there's, there's a lot and I think here is great with you know practical you do a lot of practical stuff um, but you do get a lot of people come in from college and basically everything they've learned is sort of yeah, yeah forget about all that this is how you actually do like, or you know we're going to need you to do this and um, like that's a really good hit the ground running and you just got to deliver and you got to be there and, and people just don't, you know it was kind of fast paced newsroom environment and it was like you got to get packages to air and learn how to edit and learn how to script and uh, learn how to report and go to a press conference and you know, get the best bits and put them to air. Just the whole discipline of, and most TV news reports are between a minute and a half and maybe less than three minutes anyway. You know, if you, yeah. if you, even if you did a, fit, a feature, you were rare, you got, if you got it to three minutes, you were, you were lucky. Like, so you're kind of trying to tell a story and like, that's a lot of the discipline. It's like, how do you tell a story? In three minutes. In, you know, in, yeah. in short, wor short words. And, you know, even, sometimes even shorter than that, you might have a minute, minute 15, you know. Um, so, but that was really exciting time as well because you have to remember like I, I, I I'm suddenly getting sent to do you know the Republic of Ireland for training and you know Robbie Keane and Damien Duff and doing interviews or press conferences with Trapattoni and all this kind of stuff at the time and uh, going meeting going to do the, the rugby stuff you know because it was very much like whatever the next cap on the rank you're off to do this mm -hmm. and uh, yeah it was it was really it was kind of surreal I was like I had a real sense of um, imposter syndrome for a while. Something's going to go. Excuse me. What are you doing here? Like you're working at a bank two months ago. Like, um, so so what, that what was, was the biggest adjustment for you know going into a, a newsroom, say full time. Um, just a, the different, um, like the fact that you were, you, you when you work in an office, you're kind of like you sit at your desk, you do your work, and you go. Whereas in in that environment. Um, it was just so much more like relaxed, not relaxed, but like it was noisy and it was people going about and like people would be kind of deadlines. I think, I think the whole um, absolute like unforgiving nature of deadlines is, you know, just being out and like the, you said, it's like, you know, the, the leaving cert dream that you have, you know, where you're, you're, you, you wake up sweating like years later about, about the leaving cert exams. Mm -hmm. Trust me, lads, it'll, it'll, be, it'll be with you for years. <laughs> you have the same dread about, you know, de about deadlines, about, because I'd be away, like I was away in, say, Poland for Euro 2012 or, you know, say, qual qualifier in Slovakia. And you've got to basically film your package, do your pieces, edit it together and get it back. And you'd be, you, maybe you'd be depending on, you know, dodgy Wi-Fi somewhere or, you know, a satellite truck that you've you have to meet some you know Hungarian guy outside the stadium and use their borrow their you know their satellite truck to send it back and you're looking at the clock the whole time going they need to get this here in in like two minutes like I remember like you know trying to get a report back from Poland during Euro 2012 and literally like the news bulletin was on running I was in the hotel room finishing it exporting it to a, oh, a disc man. running down the stairs there's a satellite van parked out, outside getting it in send it back and uh, and I ma it, it managed to make it to air like and and and, it, and that's the thing where and like what what the thing about that is you've got quality on one hand and you've got you know deadline on the other yeah you want to send back the best possible oh we know it's like it's like essays yeah. you know when you're couple, couple yeah it's, it's, it's short <laughs> and you're like ah this will fluff it out a bit the yeah. bottom line is it has to get to air and there's like okay there's Obviously, you don't want to libel anybody. Like that's 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 probably the worst thing. It's not, like you know, not making deadlines is probably better than that. But you know, a, a kind of a sh dodgy, shoddy package with you know a few glitches in it, getting it to air is better than than missing it. And yeah. you know, and and like that's that's kind of with broadcast news side of things. Like that's a, that was a huge part. Certainly, my early career was just that sort of, you know, just no. You, know, you see, still get see that, uh, that same feeling about deadlines, or are you a bit more at ease? Yeah, well, like, I, 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 I don't have the same same deadlines um, anymore. Like now, because I don't, I don't, um, I'm not a reporter anymore. Um, so it's um, yeah. I mean, I still, I still fight. Like I fight a column every week. Like, and that's you know, but that's that's a deadline as well. But it's not as it's a little bit less. I mean, basically, once once the news goes to air, 
there's no kind of like I'll give you another 20 minutes there but you know, it's like you gotta have this so. yeah. done yeah, yeah. Um, we mentioned uh, Joanne Cantwell and she is a, a former guest of the show and one thing that she touched on when we were interviewing her was how difficult it was in TV3 uh, due to the lack of rights, mm. um, was that something that was still a factor when you? Yeah, very CB3? much so. Like, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I wasn't there in the really um, dark days. Dark days <laughs> where, like, there were stories of I think um, early days, the the FAI wouldn't let them into training because they wanted them to pay, um, you know, pay for the right to go there, and they used to like try and film the training from like behind a bush. You know, <laughs> this kind of thing, like, and then the FAI security would be like chasing them away, you know, this uh, sort of stuff. But, um, yeah, like, we had no rights, you know. I think, I think when I, you know, when I started, we'd lost Champions League uh, in European football, and basically all we had was a couple of UEFA Cup games. Uh, we, we had, like, my first ever live anchor role was like a UEFA Cup semi final in like 2008 uh, or 2009. Um, that Man City were playing against Hamburg. Like it was Man City, like the days when you oh, know. I think I actually do. Remember yeah, that like game. Uh, oh, Mark Hughes yeah. manager, like yeah. Stephen Ireland played with them and stuff. Like it was Man City Imagine, before they were Man City. Yeah. Manchester De Jong was still saying. Yeah, yeah. I've seen jerseys with Stephen Ireland. Oh, I don't really match my dad and I went home for it to the end. Yeah, then I did a tour and I got a Stephen Ireland jersey. Oh well, you know. You know. Yeah. Um. So yeah, we just had we just had very little, you know, and. Like we used to, we used to, we used to have a, a nightly um mag or sports magazine program called Sports Tonight, yeah, which went out after yeah. the after the late news, and <clears throat> that was using this thing called News Access, which basically means you can use other people's pictures for uh, a twenty four hour um cycle after they were broadcast live on air because it was considered News Access. So you could do a little match report based on RT's pictures or BBCs or Skies. It was just like a twenty minute program, twenty five minute program of other people's pictures. You know? <laughs> so when I think of that, of where it comes to now, where we've basically owned like all the Champions League Europa rights, uh, Six Nations, um, you yeah, know, you've turned the Irish kind of like, really, like it's 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 incredible, really. Like you know, it's it's um and and you know, don't, make no mistake. Like I I guess what you have to remember, like at that stage, as a as an organization, it was only eight or nine years old. It was still viewed as the sort of, uh, the, you know, the kid brother. Thing. Yeah, and like you know, they'll they'll be they'll be you know they'll they'll, they'll be gone. Yeah, yeah, they'll knock you know, yeah, especially yeah. you know, and, and most most of of the colleagues you'd meet would be fine. There'd be a few who would 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 have looked down their nose and kind of think you know, especially from you know a certain state broadcaster <laughs> uh, who, who who might sort of think that they you know that, that, that yeah. based on their longevity and, and they've been around the game a long time. Um, and then over time obviously that's changed and once you get rights like look in TV sport rights are everything the rights holder is first in the queue they get all the interviews they get all the, the love from the, mm -hmm. the sports the players and the, the bodies and the team and the managers um, not all managers though um, so so that yeah the more rights you have the more I suppose and that kind of ties into it. We, a former guest is actually Ryle Nugent as well mm -hmm. and while, while we had Ryle on we, we were discussing with him um, you know, I suppose a lot of his job as head of sport for RT kind of boiled down to battling for rights. And I suppose as a state broadcaster, they were quite limited in, you know, how, how much they could go for in their bids and such. Because they're using the public's money. Yeah, you know? yeah. Um, and he said, like, his job became increasingly, increasingly difficult. And I suppose if you look at it now, the way it's kind of come, come full circle that, like, I suppose, Six Nations even has gone to see Virgin Media. Yeah. Um, and uh, like I suppose it, it is a huge part of sport, yeah. modern sports and now if you don't mind me asking do you feel TV3 are at the level of RTE yet or sorry Virgin yeah. Sport yeah. I can't we'll do get it. There. <laughs> can't do it Virgin, Virgin Media is there now. do you feel it's a level playing field now do, do you know what whereas up until a year ago or, or a couple of years ago it was a case that you were you were, you were sort of competing whereas now I actually think they're just two different beasts now because like you know, um, we're never we we never we would never be considered competing because they are a, a state broadcaster, and they use license fee license fee uh, money and they have a responsibility in that regard. Now their responsibility is, they have to serve the, the license fee payer, but they're also they have to get commercials side of it as well. So they're kind of a little bit of both, mm -hmm. um, and certainly for many years they simply use the license fee to. Control sports rights and and you know probably to the extent where they're spending too much. Don't too state, much on state it, you broadcasters know? generally get access no matter what to world events like yeah, the yeah. Olympics, like and the World Cup. Yeah, well, not necessarily. Like um, I know um, I think Discovery Channel have bought 
Olympics and, and will be they'll be sub licensing them to, to to other broadcasters. But state broadcasters kind of has to do stuff like that though. Um, you know, we're all even TV three and now in Virgin Media days like it's always about the bottom line for the company for the organization. Like, does this make sense financially? Like, RT don't have that. You know, they they kind of they have to. They, they have an obligation, I suppose, yeah. to a degree, as more so than. They, they, you know, they they there are certain things that we would never do because we they just wouldn't we couldn't pay for you know they wouldn't uh, they wouldn't justify they wouldn't wash their own faces as I say uh, financially you know they wouldn't generate a return, but in terms of of the big events like we are yeah we're 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 we're, we're totally competitive now and we're owned by the other side of it is we're owned by a, a telecommunications company Virgin Media and. They're interested. The bottom line is selling broadband packages, you know, TV subscriptions, um, you know, phone networks, and, and we're just a part of that now. So we're completely different. If you think about, it, we're doing, we're working in the same area. We are bidding against each other for the same rights, but, but the bottom line is like we're looking, for, we're we're doing it for different reasons. So like we're something like the Champions League, Europa League deal that made sense for Virgin Media to buy all of that because they can try and entice people to become version subscribers, get the box, get the broadband. Whereas RT would never make sense for RT to go after all that. You know, they just want to have a little bit of Champions League to have a mix of things as part of their uh, obligations as a state broadcaster. So, you know, what it means is that yes, we are competing against them and we're I think when the stuff that we are, are looking for, we're able to compete. Um, but there's certain things that they would never go for and we would never go for. So how are you finding your role now as full-time sports presenter? Oh, it's, it's brilliant. And how, yeah, how has dream. it changed from being a reporter and how do you prepare differently than how you used to? Yeah, for, um, so I, I guess after being on the sort of newsroom side of things for I don't know, four or five years and doing a little bit of presenting, like I started doing Thursday Night Europa League and then I, I got basically the, the Tuesday night we had live Champions League, so it was Champions League, Europa League and then a bit of reporting and, and uh, news anchoring, uh, anchoring the sports news, and then I, uh, I kind of went from that to doing the, the presenting the live soccer and then doing the break, weekend breakfast show, and that was like a different world. So I was kind of doing not just sport; I was doing like general. Uh, you know, you could be interviewing somebody about, you know, um, some like serious uh, psychological, you know, mental health issue, mm-hmm. and then you could be like, you know, saying how do you cook the perfect Christmas turkey. You know, it's like so. Makes yeah. all things. <laughs> so, like you know, it's, it's which was actually great as a broadcaster uh, for your development to be able to do that. And as they say, flying time on air, where you've got like you know three hour show where you're you're constantly, you know, you have to be comfortable and and it's more and it's a lot more about about you like, um, than when you're doing sport where it's about the actual sport, um. So that was a great experience, um, and then when we basically got the the contract for the all the Champions League and Europa League it was a case of right well that's gonna and we have the internationals the Nations League and the, a lot of the qualifiers as well so it's like that's gonna take up all your your time now it means you gives you you're basically you're you're not stretched as thin anymore or you're not uh, you can kind of you can kind of focus completely on yeah. something like and um, and you just take and then when it comes down to it, you're taking like a real whole view and uh, of you know, you're kind of watching like Juventus at the weekend, or you know, you're watching. Seeing, you have a great excuse. Yeah, you're, you're actually yeah. like you are kind of trying to keep up, keep on top of so many different things. Maybe less interested in how the Christmas turkey is going to turn out. You know, yeah. And, and uh, what's well, working with Graham Smith on a fairly regular basis, like ah, it's, it's brilliant. Yeah. Like yeah, we talk about you know. Uh, Does he really hate Paul Pogba? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think um, I think I think for Graham, like Graham has a view of the game, and Graham is you know. From a generation where it's, it's it was completely different, you know, he'd he'd say the game hasn't changed, but a lot of stuff around the game has changed, and you know he he played in a time where, um, I, I think it it was definitely a lot more uh, um, old fashioned, um, masculine dressing room culture, and a lot more you had to be a lot more resilient um, and a lot more. Um, Self as a you have to be a lot more self. Um, uh, what's the word Pro- proactive or it was down to you basically in terms of of how you performed. He always tells us tells a story uh, that he was the most summer of seventy seven. Um, Liverpool signed Kenny Dalglish, uh, most expensive British transfer fee, and then signed him the most expensive between two English clubs, 
And the preseason was going on. He was in meeting everybody. That was fine. Preseason games, preseason training, and he was kind of waiting for somebody to come and tell him what his role was going to be. Like what what did they want him to do in the team? This was Liverpool, who were European champions at the time, and uh, he was kind of sitting in the dressing room and thinking, well, maybe maybe today it was you know obviously Bob Paisley was manager, Ronnie Moran, Roy Evans, uh, Joe Fagan uh, would have been around. Uh, so it's the famous you know boot room, uh, Liverpool boot room, and uh, he was kind of saying somebody's going to pull me aside and say we want you to do this, we want you to play here and, and do that. And I keep going on, and suddenly it was the first day of the season, and uh, he's sitting in the dressing room before the match, um, and he calls over Ronnie Moran, um, who um, would have been one of the, the first team coaches at the time, and says, Ronnie, um, what do you what, what does the gaffer want me to do? What do you want me to do? And Ronnie Moran goes, for F's sake, hi, Joe, come here. For, see this fella, how much do we pay for him? 300 grand, 300 grand. You know what he's after asking me? What am I supposed to do out here? <laughs> you cost 300 grand and you don't know what you're supposed to do out in a football pitch. Get out of here, son. And they walked away. I just left him there and he was like, all right, then. And uh, it, was, it was kind of a, a dressing room culture where, you know, and it, it's, it's amazing now when you think of it, like how much analysis and, and, and preparation goes into games like that. But the players were literally expected to manage themselves and manage the team and, and the, man, the management style was a lot more team building where you put the right blocks in place and someone like Sunis, you, he, he ran a team on the pitch or uh, Alan Hansen behind him, you know, which is Douglas, you know, great intelligent players, but also really responsible professionals. So I think when somebody like him today sees the degree to which uh, modern, professional, mo- modern professionals are, um, there's so, well, there's so much around their image around them, uh, around the, the, they have so many advisors and, you know, come back to their, their brand is as important as, as what they actually do on the pitch. I think it does, it, it does frustrate people like Graham, you know, when they, when they kind of see um, someone with, with Pogba who the image around him appears to generate as much um, interest and as much of his uh, relevance and importance as his, ability, as his ability for a long time. And I think, you know, don't get me wrong, I think he's clearly got ability. But he certainly now after Marino's yeah day. yeah look I, I'm looking forward to getting him to you know ne- next week now because he's obviously going to ask him like you know has Pogba is you know is he now justifying the hype for you and I think he, look for him he'll always he'll always look at it through his own perspective and say he look at that and say is is he a complete midfielder midfielder no he's not I was a complete midfielder <laughs> this is probably his his point of view like so but uh, to go back to your original question like great to work with. Um, absolute gentleman loves coming over here I think he enjoys it uh, more than working at British TV um, I think he enjoys being able to say whatever he wants uh, he gets treated I think with the respect he's due and, um, and has, has been brilliant and a great experience to and just just to be in a room and I don't know if it comes across on TV just extraordinary charisma and presence about him um, as, a, as a guy you know as well mm-hmm. and so covering as much soccer as you do, any particular games that you've covered stand out in, in memory? Um, Definitely have a favourite from over the years. Yeah. Yeah. Um, God, it's, like, it's just, just been so many. Do you support a team actually? Yourself? Yeah, I'm a Celtic fan. Celtic. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, of course, yeah. Yeah, so, um, yeah, um, there's, been, there's been a few of them, all right. Um, the 6 2 in 2000 or something that you brought up. Yeah. To you before. That was, that was, I was obviously watching that as a as a fan like back, you know, at, back at home in County Donegal yeah, yeah I remember being I, I was I remember it was before I went away travelling to Australia I was home for a few weeks and I uh, watched it down the local pub and because uh, I, I don't know if, if obviously remember Celtic had a long basically most of my sort of childhood was watching Celtic getting beaten by Rangers and <laughs> you know went like nine years without winning the title and uh, that was like I don't like, and, and it's funny with Martin O'Neill now and the way it's worked out with Ireland um, you know, it's been kind of a bit of a shame because he was a real, he was a real hero. Mm-hmm. He, he really, he really delivered Celtic from from the wasteland. You know, to to in so many ways. And that that day, the six two, uh, in two thousand was uh, was unbelievable. Or if we're um, keeping with Celtic, then the two one win against Barcelona must stand. Yeah, that really was well. uh, that was phenomenal as well. I don't think we broadcast that one though. I think I watched watched that as a home as well. Yeah. But that was uh, that was amazing. Like that was that was one of those games where I never thought I'd see. 
Celtic compete at that level yeah. uh, and, and now I kind of think maybe we'll never get back there again but like to actually go and beat Barcelona get into the last 16 of the Champions League um, like those were those were brilliant days but I think I think that Barcelona team you know are, are probably my favourite of, of the modern era to have, to have covered um, you know we, we sort of had we, we got on board when, when they were kind of in their, in their pomp you know uh, coming through um, beating, beating Real Madrid in the semi-final and in uh, the year twenty eleven, then they went on to beat United in the final. Um, you know that was extraordinary. Um, I think I think Liverpool's run last season was was really exciting. Um, in that they were excited, the way they did it was exciting, and you got the the sense that like basically Ireland is, I don't know, forty percent Liverpool, forty percent United, and everybody else twenty percent. You know, makes up the rest, and you get a, you get a sense whenever Liverpool or United are doing well, that it's almost like. It's like half of, of a kind of a, and that's like, a, you know, there is a sense that, you know, you're, you can walk around the streets and hear people talking to each other, you know, the Liverpool fans, and there's the slagging is going on, but there's a real sense of excitement. You know, you, you knew when you're broadcasting the matches that people were tuning in, you know, um, people were really buzzing about it, the viewing figures were, were, were really high, and, you know, it, it was really exciting. Like, I think we did the, um, the home leg uh, against, uh, against City. Uh, sorry, the away leg against City, the second leg that they got into the semi-final, and the first leg against Roma when they blew Roma away, and you know they were it, it, just that that sense of momentum um, that that was gathering. You know, I think that was um, that was really memorable um, as well. Like, but there's just so many. I, I just I just found like last season, it just like the Champions League knockouts were almost like the perfect sort of entertainment product mm. basically <laughs> every week there was you know ridiculous comebacks drama excitements you know it's 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 there it's on the middle of the week you know everybody's watching it uh you know and it was just it's i think it's at such a level now that it's it it is like the ultimate like in, in, in club football so let's I, I'd, I'd like to get a couple of your takes on uh, soccer because me and greg actually have action replay coming up tonight which is our bi-weekly sports show so we might use a few of the clips uh but um, just to touch on your own Celtic, a take that I've had over the past few years is that Celtic have actually been hurt more by Rangers kind of fall from grace than helped. And the reason I say that is because I think the lack of competition within their own domestic league has harmed their chances in Europe because they're not level. And I, I think that goes for the likes of PSG in France as well, is that the lack of domestic competition has actually hurt their um, ventures into Europe is that something that you would buy into? Um, I think it's it's very hard to avoid that conclusion. Really, um, I think most Celtic fans felt that you know you find very few Celtic fans who who regretted uh, what happened to Rangers. I think most of them really enjoyed yeah. <laughs> enjoyed the whole thing. Let's be honest and like absolutely savored it. But has it been good? Has it been good for Celtic? Well, you know, there is there's the element of, of competition. Uh, there's the, the element of um, of buzz around the club, uh, excitement of a title race. That is that's all. It is it's part of sport. Um, I've I've kind of roused my father about it. Like he, you know, he's he's died in the middle of Glaswegian. He grew up there. He knows what the, the rivalry is like, and he, he would love to see Rangers, you know, disappear and never come back. But the fact of the matter is, you know, it's just the rivalry sustains um, sport, mm-hmm. and you know, I like I I just think that. Whether whether a competitive Rangers would be enough to make Celtic more competitive in European level, I don't think that's the case because I just think that's simply a matter of, of financial uh, financial realities. The modern game, the money that the the top the top five leagues and Premier League in particular are generating now, is stratospherically beyond anything that any of the smaller leagues and Scotland in particular can generate. Do you think that, you know, Adam Rooney left Aberdeen, um, to go to Salford City? You know, like a not a non league club in English football, yeah. you know Celtic are, are basically competing really with championship clubs for for signings. You know, and, and they're struggling to do that. Um, you know Celtic's transfer record for uh, was set in two thousand for six million for Chris Sutton and John Hartson. They didn't break it until last summer. Um, they spent nine million on uh, Odson Edward. You know, they just it's it's a different it's a complete different. Uh, it, it's it's virtually impossible for clubs from that level to be competitive, um, and I think that's that's the real uh, issue. Certainly, as a as a you know as a product and a rivalry, I think look, 
there's a lot of bad things about it, but as a purely sporting rivalry, it's a hell of a lot more interesting, you know, to have. And on the financial point, yeah. like Celtic Rangers does obviously create a lot of revenue through the likes of TV ratings. And stuff. Yeah, it's, it, look, it's going to it'll generate more um, TV rights revenue. A lot of Celtic fans are, are really unhappy about the way that Rangers were were treated at the time. That they felt there should have been more punishment. That they should have been stripped of the titles that they won in the time. There's a lot of issues about the way Scottish football is administered and did they kind of basically give Rangers a lift up um, to get back to where they were. I think, I, think, I think looking at it, I think people outside just kind of say, if there's no Celtic and Rangers, I have no interest in Scottish football. Mm-hmm. So I, I think that's a bad thing. And I think Stephen Gerrard going there, let's be honest with it, it's generated a lot more interest in it. And I think you'd imagine they should benefit. I, I do I also suspect that the Celtic board used the Rangers' absence to as an excuse not to spend money and you know and to and they, they, they are a very well run club financially they they don't spend money they don't have Dermot Desmond is kind of looking over his investment very carefully mm. um, and now Rangers there they have to they have to raise their game a bit so yeah. hopefully look hopefully that will have a positive effect in Europe as well and one more question just on the uh, English domestic league the, the Premier League how do you see it going for the rest of the season obviously we had Liverpool dropping more vital points. Uh, on a ball, last night. <laughs> <laughs> did you did you cry? I didn't. He was, a, he was, he was very angry. Um, you were in a new bar last night watching the game. Oh, oh did he, did, don't tell me he had cans. Yeah, he had a couple of. <laughs> oh, he was in good form. That doesn't help. Drinking on a Monday night. Oh, should be a shame again. <laughs> um, um, but yeah, three points between the two sides. Thirteen games to go. Yeah. What do you think? Um, I think Liverpool need to um, need to click back into gear pretty soon. I think City are, uh, I think City are, are almost back to their uh, ominous best. I say that a week after they, they they lose to Newcastle. I just thought through the game on Sunday. To me, De Bruyne is, you know, yeah, a player you forget yeah. just how good he was. Like he was basically, you know, it was it was a toss up between him and Salah for Player of the Year last year. Like to me, he's you know the outstanding midfield player in the Premier League, and they were still they basically didn't really have him for most of the first. Um, Twenty odd games of the season. If he if he's, you know, back to his absolute best now, Aguero's hot. Fernandinho stays fit. Um, you know, Mendy I think is 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 on his way back soon. Like a lot of those weaknesses that saw them drop points and lose games over December January, won't be there anymore. Um, Liverpool on the on the other hand. The 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 right back issue is a big problem for them because the way Liverpool uh they're. A lot of their attacking threat comes from the fullbacks, and I think they've, they've really been hurt by the loss of uh, Alexander Arnold, the loss of Gomez as well. I think him and Van Dijk had a lovely partnership. Um, to to me, Liverpool have always been a bit of a, had a bit of a plodding midfield, and you know when in the last first few seasons under Klopp, they went for all out pressing and tried to overwhelm teams, um, and that was fine because the front three they had were full of full of life, full of energy in the midfield was a, was a workhorse midfield. Now they're a lot more controlled, but they still just lack that creativity uh, in midfield. I think we're seeing in these games now, yeah. they look like they're really they're running out of ideas. The front men are, are, are not quite at the, at the same level. Um, I just, I just kind of feel that they... I almost wonder, do they need to, need to maybe go back to the, the, the club, uh, the, the original sort of team of last season they, that they went and overwhelmed teams? Because I just kind of wonder, do they have enough creativity to, to break down teams that are... I think the, problem with, the problem with teams now is that they'll always set up really defensively against Liverpool because they know if you, if you press against, if you push high against Liverpool, you know, Salah, Mane, Firmino, they're going to kill you. So they're always going to be faced with teams like Leicester and, and West Ham are going to be really organised. Yeah. Um, so I do kind of fear for Liverpool now. I just don't see. I just, I, you know, I, 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 just think they're hitting their, their, their tricky patch at a really bad time. January has never been historically has never been a good month for Liverpool. No, it's February now. Well, yeah. Now, <laughs> and I got Bayern Munich. Uh, two games of Bayern Munich. United as well. Yeah. Yeah, United's going up again. Resurgence United to come. Um, I just wonder. To me, if you look at Manchester City and Liverpool. You know who's the better? Who who are the better squad? Who are the better team? Like you'd you'd have to say it's City. Yeah. And you know. I th- I kind of thought that City, that the problems in the team were, Fernandinho got injured, uh, Silva got injured, Aguero got injured, Mendy got injured. I don't think those problems are are, are there anymore. Whereas 
Liverpool are going the other way and players are starting yeah, to drop Yeah, and the Liverpool and squad is starting to look, look thin. I see Lallana starting a game like last night and I kind of go, <laughs> that's <laughs> he a actually real had a big, He had a big hand in the goal in fairness to him. Yeah. yeah, like I think Jamie Carragher said after the game that Lallana did more Cruyff turns than Johan Cruyff did in his entire career last <laughs> night. Um, which is true. Whenever you watch him, all he seems to be doing is going back and forth doing a Cruyff turn. Um, yeah, so that's the only takes that I wanted to get for the football. Do you okay. have any final questions to wrap up? That? Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll make it a little bit more personal. Tommy, to your coffee. Uh, oh, well. Oh, <laughs> indecisive. I don't want to be seen sitting on the fence, but I do. I, I all start the day, coffee, two coffees. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then after lunch, tea and a biscuit. How, how do you take coffee? Uh, like a like a cappuccino. Cappuccino myself. Yeah, yeah same as yeah. myself. Yeah. Um, yeah, three guests living or dead that you invite to a dinner party. Oh my god, I hate this question. <laughs> <laughs> Too broad. Because I always think, like, well, Daniel you know, Donald has to be there. Yeah, obviously, yeah. obviously Daniel, uh, Daniel Jim McGuinness, and uh, BB Blaskin. Oh, yeah, because um, like yeah, I always think, like, well, would you not like invite you know, Julius Caesar <laughs> yeah. or you know, Napoleon? Like, um, but uh, yeah, I probably would, yeah, Napoleon, so let's say, uh, yeah, Napoleon. Uh, no, I'd probably go for, um, uh, I'd probably go for Jock Steen. Okay. Uh, I'd probably go for um, Muhammad Ali. Okay. And um, I'd probably go for. Got me there now. If we Daniel's not sitting at the end yeah. of the table, I'm, I'm tell you what. If Daniel can't make it, I get John Lennon. In. Oh, okay. Fair, fair, yeah. Fair, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, before we wrap up with Gal's last question, uh, if you had the perfect Saturday night to yourself, you could do anything you want. Go anywhere you want. Everything is you want. within your control. Everything is within your control. What What are you doing on a Saturday night? Perfect Saturday night. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Is this like you know in in like you can literally go anywhere in the yeah. world? Yeah. You can do whatever you want. Oh my God. <laughs> um. I'd uh, well. I'd start. I'd I'd uh, I'd go to I'd go to Celtic Park. Watch them beat Rangers. Uh. And it's uh, probably get um. Probably get a flight to. Uh, God, you got me. <laughs> uh, probably get a flight to um, New York, maybe. Okay. Okay. Madison Square Garden. Yeah, yeah. No, I you know where I go? Uh, I go to Chicago and go see the Chicago Cubs. Okay. Oh, very nice. Wrigley Fields, nice. best best sports venue. Ever Actually, yeah, that is a question that we forgot to ask. That we generally do. What's your favorite sports venue? Um, or do you have one? Well, obviously, obviously, Celtic Park mm-hmm. is. Uh, I think actually. Genuinely, not just saying that I think it's like a really special place to watch football, but I'd say the same about Anfield. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, I think uh, yeah, I think I I was I was think Wrigley Field. I, I spent a summer in Chicago and uh, just think it's kind of I think I always think baseball is my favorite American sport because it's the one that has a little bit of romance about it, and like Wrigley Field has just got this like it's got all the ivy growing on the walls and mm. it's it's like a, uh, it's one that hasn't been knocked down and turned into a big you know new, a normal yeah. a normal um, so I'd probably uh, yeah I'd probably go and take in a game there, uh, go for dinner somewhere. Okay. Uh, yeah. Do you wait? Sorry, did did you bring your wife or are we leaving her at home? Yeah, she's there, but like you oh, know, she's okay. getting really bored in the sports. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, so I'd probably uh, go and uh, probably go and see. Um, you bring her down to Broadway or somewhere. Eight, Ninety nine here at Stone Roses, uh, oh. live in. Uh, we did say everything was in his control. Yeah. Yeah. I know I'm, I'm jumping through time. <laughs> um, and then uh, go for a, a, a nice pint in uh, Kiel's. What's your pint uh, choice? Guinness man, of course. Very good. Very good. And uh, Kiel's in Saint Anne Street is uh, usually where. That's your haunt. Yeah. yeah, so it's usually too busy though. I I, I, I like it a little bit quieter. Yeah. It's sort of quiet. Nice little snug. Yeah, nice little snug. Yeah. Yeah. Very good. Um, so Tommy, uh, we always end the show by asking our guests, what's the best place, what's the best piece of advice you've been given or that you can pass on to someone? Best piece of advice uh, I've been given? Um, good question. Uh, think about that one now. I'll give you a second. Yeah. Colin, did you do your prep? For action reflex? Yeah. No, not yet. Did you do, did you watch um, League on Sunday or whatever it's called now? Uh, yeah, I did. I didn't actually. I'm really racking my brains to have this one. <laughs> no, no, no. Leash match was a bit I've like press box in Croke Park is, is terrible. I've decided it's really yeah, it's actually terrible. Why? 
I was frozen up there on Saturday night. Oh, I suppose, yeah, you're very hung up, aren't you? Yeah, um, I was absolutely frozen. And you know, they won't give us, oh, this was big news actually. So it was a triple header, obviously. So yeah. leash game, Dublin ladies, Dublin seniors. Um, because we were the first of a triple header, uh, usually when you go to press, press box in Court Park, you get a free sandwich, free soup, which is, you know, you don't get that anywhere else. And um, they wouldn't give Where's us. Where's this? Croke Park. Oh, yeah. They wouldn't give us the, uh, the free sandwiches. They said they were holding them for the big games. Wow. Oh, yeah. Really? And uh, that was like, that was like, you know, <laughs> red, red. Yeah. When, like, was, when was this? Saturday. Um, so, for the last league, yeah. Really? Leash, Leash lost home advantage for our game oh, against Lyon. Oh, yeah. The so train. it was in Croke Park? Was it in Croke Park? All of about it. We could actually hear the players chatting oh, on the pitch. Oh, that's grim, isn't it? Yeah. Um, and we lost as well. We just disintegrated. In three or sorry, in ten minutes, they conceded three goals and had a man sent off. Uh, wow! From like ten to twenty minutes, so uh, it was an uphill battle, and um, yeah, then we didn't even get our soup or our sandwiches. And one of the more senior journalists, we'll leave his name out. He was very, very unhappy about it. Yeah. And um, they some some representative from Crow Park. I heard people heard they could just overturn a table. Oh, they were, yeah, it, yeah. Was, it was chaos. <laughs> it was chaos up there. So it must be must have a reputation for sandwiches of heavy. Don't be, don't be giving them the free sandwiches. <laughs> uh, okay, what's what is the best piece of advice? It's funny, like uh, you know, if like other than sort of gen, uh, general stuff, like uh, um, um, uh, don't you know, just be be true to yourself. I I think you know, in terms of like career wise, um, it's uh, it, it's it's just that thing of uh, I always remember somebody saying to me, um, always try and be the best at what you do. Like if you gonna enough, if you yeah. gonna if you gonna do something, you might as well be the um, best. You might as well try and be the best yeah. at what you do, and that's hard because you know you, you might be you might be a writer or something, and you know you read somebody's written something, you kind of go like, my God, I could never <laughs> even aspire to do that. And I'm sure like as a broadcaster, there's there's obviously many brilliant broadcasters, but at least you you know you, you try and aspire, and if you if you do that, um, then you always hold yourself to to high standards, and you know I think that sense of of and you know, hold, keeping yourself to those kind of high standards is if you always have that, then you won't be, uh, won't be far wrong. You know? Good, brilliant. Yeah, uh, yeah, th- Tommy, thanks a million for, for coming out. Thanks today. for having me, lads. It's been a great chat. Thanks for that, lads. Yeah. <laughs> um, this has been In Conversation with Tommy Martin. Thank you very much for listening, and we'll see you next time. <laughs>